Thank you for that introduction. It's good to be here today. It's nice to see some familiar faces in the audience. And so, uh, yeah, I, I met Pastor Jim through um, social media, actually. So social media is not altogether terrible. There's some not so great things that happen on there, but there's good meetings that happen on there as well. So, and then we had lunch, and then we met some other times, and we became fast friends. And so, uh, you guys are blessed to have him as your leader, as your shepherd. And so, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely a gift. So, if you have your Bibles, open, open to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to camp out there today for a while. And as you guys turn, I want to kind of try to set the stage for us a little bit as you turn to Genesis chapter 11. So, just imagine there's a little girl who um, drew a picture for a father. She used her five years of drawing expertise to come bring it all together, and she wanted to surprise her dad with the picture. So one morning, she and her mother wake up, and they get it on the dad's car driver's seat so they can surprise him on his way to work. And then the dad's off. You know, he wakes up in the morning, gets in the car, drives to work. He's very excited to see the picture. When he gets to work, he's showing it to all of his coworkers and his bosses and scrolling through phone, you know, pictures on his phone, showing his kids off, saying, it's from her. You know, he's just, he just loves it. And so, uh, you know, throughout the day, he's working. He looks over at it. He smiles a couple of times. And then at the end of the day, he just throws it away and then goes back home. So when he goes back home, this little girl is obviously waiting there for him. And she says, do you like it? He's like, oh, I loved it. Gives him a big old hug. And then she looks at him and says, where is it? He says, well, I threw it away. I love you, but that's just, you know, it's a piece of paper. And then obviously, I can already see it in your faces, her countenance just dropped. Why is that? There's something that happens when we work on something. We've kind of put something of ourselves into something when we put our time and our energies and our effort into it. And so it's not just that this dad threw away a piece of paper that she drew on. It's like a piece of her was, in a sense, thrown away with it. You guys understand? I I think you guys get me me on that. And so um, fast forward about 35 years, the same girl, she's working and working and working in, in in the public sphere, and either one of two things might happen to her. One, she's working simply to get by, And she's just working to pay the bills, doing her thing. But to her, this passage is going to show us that there's so much more to her toil than just getting by. Or she might be somebody who's overly ambitious, who is working and working and working, but for fulfillment and trying to find value in that. This passage is going to show us there is so much more to our work than undertaking it for our happiness alone. And so uh, let's turn to this text and let's be taught by it today as it's kind of a mirror for us to learn from. I just, I'm growing to love this passage and so uh, I hope you guys love it too by the time we're done with it today. So Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. I'll read all the way through. At one time the the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated east from the land of Shinar and they settled there. They said to each other, come and let us make oven-fired bricks. And they had brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come let us, or come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that will touch the sky. And they made a name, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered 
across the face of the whole earth. Verse 5. And then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. Lord, and the Lord said, If they are here in the same place with the same language, and they've, and they've begun to do this, then nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come and let us go down there, and let's confuse their languages, so that they will not be able to understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babylon. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole, of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so uh, what we're going to do is see in this passage is that in verses 1 through 4, it's going to tell us about the rebellion of these people. And in verses 5 through 9, it's going to tell us about God's response. But in the first two verses, it kind of sets everything up by giving us a little tidbit that we might have overlooked. And it says that they migrated east. This word east is sort of a refrain that's sort of hidden in the book of Genesis that the author has put there in a a very strategic way. And so what we see is that Adam and Eve, after they chose the knowledge of good and evil, over God's presence, they settled in a land east of the garden. Cain, after refusing God's instruction and killed his brother, he went to dwell in a place that was east of Eden. And then Lot disbanded from Abraham and sought a land like Eden to the east. So there's these three occasions and then many more. And basically what we're seeing is that when the author is talking about moving east, it's people moving away from God's provision trying to provide for themselves what God was going to provide for them all along. So this is like a negative foreshadow on the rest of this little narrative that we're we're looking at today. And so it's sort of coloring what's going to happen, and then we see the crux of the negativity in verses 3 and 4. And I'll read those again just very quickly. Verse 3, it says, They said to each other, Come, and let us make oven-fired bricks. They had brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come and let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so there's four little details that we need to look at here. Uh, The first is they're going to build a tower to make a name for themselves, which is one couplet we'll look at. And the second is that they're going to build a city so they won't be scattered across the face of the whole earth. So, so the Babylonians are much like us. They like to be recognized. They were going about building this tower that will touch the sky, which is a very ambitious thing, because they were really excited about people going by and saying, oh, look at the Babylonians. They got it going on. They're building this tower, and I heard it was going to touch the sky. I mean, you know, they like attention just like we do. We like when people know that we made the grade. We like when people know that we are the one who got the promotion. We like it when we know that, you know, when when people know these things about us and even good things. Even if you started a Bible study, perhaps, and you're teaching the Word of God and people are understanding what is going on in this book and what God is trying to say to His people and how God is rescuing all things to Himself. Even in all that, people are learning these wonderful things, but you want everyone to know that God is using you to do it. We want people to know what we're doing. We, We crave this. But the thing is, 
it's not bad. It's not a bad ambition to be good at something. In fact, as Christians, we should be the best at all that we do. We should be the best teachers. We should be the best parents. We should be the best doctors and business owners and lawyers out there because we know to what end we actually work. Correct? And so we should be the best police officers, the best prison workers, the best legal secretaries. Why? Because we understand that our work is actually executing the justice of God. We are his very hands and feet when we undertake all these things. And when social workers and advocacy workers and nonprofit workers undertake their work, they're, they're actually the hands and feet of God as they're showing God's compassion. So these things matter. Preachers and scientists and journalists and educators, they participate in God's revelatory work, communicating true things to people. And so they're doing the work of the Lord. And still others like the McKenzie's here, they, they do this work of cultivating an environment so that we can enjoy God's good creation, the fruits of the coffee bean. You know, they're creating space so that we can have community. They're doing all these things with their work, and that's a very wonderful, redemptive work and doing justice on the business side of things. So, and we all know that homemakers do all of these things all the time. Amen? And so our work that we do works. We are, when we work, it's like signs in the rubble of all the brokenness in the world that there's a God and he's active and he's working and he's sustaining his creation. And this idea of his hands and being his hands and his feet are significant. And it shows up not just when we're here on Sunday mornings, not just when we're reading our Bible or in our prayer closet, it shows up in all that we do. So what you do from nine to five and from five to whenever you go to sleep, for some of us it's Midnight, for me, since the kids are running around, sometimes it's like 10.30. I'm just like, we just can't do it anymore. You know, so whatever you do all day, it's to the glory of God. And it's speaking something on his behalf. But the question becomes, what do we do with the resources and the recognition from our success? In the spirit of Proverbs 11.10, does your city, meaning the people around you, do they flourish when you prosper? Are the people around you excited when you succeed because you know, they know that you are going to do what pleases the Lord? Or do you spend all of your resources just feeding your own selfish cravings? See, this is a question we have to ask ourselves. Do we simply absorb the recognition that we get? Like these people in the plain of Shinar. They, they wanted people to say how great they were, and they were just like, yeah, just keep, keep it coming, keep it coming. Yeah, it's, it's going to touch the sky. Come on, keep it coming. It's that tall. You know, so, or do we point people to the God that has given us the gifts to build? Do we point people to the, the God who has given us the ability to teach? How, how, do, we, how do we do this? How do we respond to the, the, the success of our work? What we understand is that the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is all about making much of the name of God. And so I love that we read Genesis 1 because even in Genesis, correct me if I'm wrong, Tracy, even in Genesis 1, we understand that each day of the creation account is written to combat ancient Near Eastern gods, little g gods. So what, what, what we're saying, in, it's like, no, it's not the little g God who created the sun, it's the Lord God, it's Yahweh. 
It's not the God of the, the, the water, the little G God of the water, who keeps the waters in its place. No, it's the big G God, the creator. And from there, he's saying, I am great, not these gods. And throughout the scripture, there's place after place after place where he's making his name great. But what we see in these people in the plain of Shinar, they're trying to make a name for themselves, not a name for God. And what's sad is that we do the same thing all the time. We absorb this praise, absorb the adoration, whereas we should be saying, no, it's not me, but it's to God be the glory. But I understand human praise brings us comfort. It brings us joy at times. When things are going wrong at home, it helps to do things well at work because people will praise you there even though things are broken in the other places of life. It, get, it grants you access to elite circles if you do things well. But this is the fact. John Piper says it well. He says, God is the one being in the whole universe where self-exaltation is the most loving act. Anyone else who exalts him or herself distracts us from what we really need, namely God. So if we are working and we're working and we're working and we're pointing people to ourselves, well, first of all, we're a dead end. We will inevitably disappoint everybody. No matter how much you love your spouse or your children, you will let them down. So we need to point them to someone who is a rock, who is firm and who's loving and caring and who can actually save. And so as you do your work, don't be like the people in the plain of Shinar, simply pointing people to yourself. Do your work where you're bringing about the imperatives that we find in God's kingdom, the justice that we see, the peace that we see, the equity that we see, all the while proclaiming the fact that Christ is king and he is whom, to whom you're working. And so what we see is that in this first couplet, they were they're going to build a tower to make a name for themselves. And that's just folly written all over it. The second couplet is, is that they're going to build a city so that they won't be scattered across the face of the whole earth. So scattering is a part of God's plan from the beginning, really. So when we read in the scripture, we read about uh, Genesis 1, 28, and God says, be fruitful and multiply. And what would have happened in that context is that Adam and Eve, they would have had children, and their children would have had children, and then they would have increased the number in this garden sanctuary where God is worshipped alone would have expanded across the face of the whole earth. And then what we know is that Adam and Eve, they rebelled against that, and then eventually sin just began to creep up and infest the entirety of God's creation. And then and the, God sent the flood to say, okay, let's try this again. So he picked the most noble, righteous man, Noah, and in Genesis 9-1 he says, be fruitful and multiply. And if they were to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, um, then worshipers would spread throughout the entirety of the earth. And we see this again and again in the New Testament with the, with the uh, Great Commission passages. We see the Holy Spirit moving the gospel to the ends of the earth in the book of Acts through the church. And then, I mean, there's story after story and example after example of God's glory being spread to the ends of the earth. Yet, the people in this land of Shinar, they chose to, to be... They chose their own self-interest over God's mission because they said, let's build a city so that we won't be scattered 
across the face of the whole earth. So you see scattering is a part of God's plan, but you see them building a city for themselves so that they won't be scattered across the face of the whole, whole earth. So um, my wife and I, we drove from Wake Forest to Roseville. That's a hike, by the way. I'm just playing. <laughs> and so there we were, at some point, we went from Wake Forest into Roseville. I don't really know where that was, but we did. And so, but back in this time, to build a city, it, it was, it's very, very different. The cities had walls around it. So we would have known if we're going to go into Roseville because there would have been two or three points where you can get into Roseville if it was back at that time. And it was, the walls were built to keep people, certain people in and to keep other people out. And so um, this was like sort of the, the idea of a man-made security layer, correct? They were, they were trying to protect themselves because they thought it was more beneficial to hide from the very people that they were called to be the salt and light to than to actually go and engage them and be out and about, and about with them. The psalmist poses the question, from, from where does our help come? And the people would gather and answer, our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Let me be clear. There is more joy in pursuing God's mission than hiding from the world that we're called to be salt and life to, even if it costs us our lives. So for us now, as the New Testament church, we ought not build a wall, build a protective barrier around us, only being within the Christian subculture to the, to the neglect of all those who God has gifted us to be able to reach, to be able to love and care for and be a demonstration of his kingdom now. And so verses 1 through, through, or 3 through 4 are the details of this human enterprise, this rebellion. And now let's read of God's response in verses 5 through 9. In verse 5 it says, Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. And we'll stop right there. So the structure of this passage is called a chiastic structure. And basically that's a literary structure that sort of, if you look at the, the way a, a passage is diagrammed or a story is diagrammed, it takes you to a point. And the point of this passage is verse 5. And, and it's talking about the Lord coming down to look over the city and the tower that they were building. First of all, I think there's a little bit of biblical comedy in here that they're going to build a city that touched the sky, but God had to come down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. I think that's just kind of funny. It just shows the foolishness of, their, of this enterprise here. They, they were trying to be God, but yet God had to come down to see the tower that they were building. And so this just demonstrates that, you know, they just fell short. Verse 6, The Lord said, if, if as one people having the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. So I was kind of confused when I read this verse. I was like, well, is God saying that we're so smart and powerful that when we get together that we can do anything, like overthrow the will of God? But on a second reading and reading the context and reading other parts of the scripture, I believe that what God is saying, that with their geographic and linguistic unity, there is a lot can happen when you get people together. This is, this is, the, this is the thing. We are created in God's image. I know that's not news to us. But because of that, we can create. 
We can organize. We can develop things. And the community that we place ourselves in can either push us towards the things of God or away from the things of God. In this particular instance, it was pushing them away from what God would have them to do. And so, so, so what we're seeing here is that this is a funny picture coming to my mind. This, I'm thinking about those who are made in the images of God, or image of God, which are people, and then I'm thinking about the roadkill that I saw coming here on the way, you know, from down Burlington Mills. It's like we're doing brain surgery. We're flying to the moon, many of us think. And, you know, we're, we're doing all these wonderful things, and they're still trying to, an, animals are still trying to figure out how not to get hit by cars in the street. So that's, that's partly the showing there's, as image bearers, we've been endowed with the ability to think and to develop and to cultivate, and that could be used towards God's purposes or away from God's purposes. Some of you guys are like, what was all that about the roadkill? <laughs> for the two of you, that guy, that was for you. So, uh, and then in verses 7 through 9, God comes down and scatters them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So are you guys familiar with the concept of like mob mentality or polarization, anybody? When people get together, they'll do something that's far more insane than they ever would in the privacy of their own home. So I think the the petri dish for this is a college dorm, (laughs) especially in a male college dorm. So I'm, I'm from California, and so it's warm there. And I went to college in Cedarville, Ohio, in the cornfields. It's cold there, and there's a big lake in the middle of it, and it would freeze over, and the wind would blow, and the ice would get in your face. And, never mind. <laughs> it's, just, it's cold. So there's this one particular time. I was a student there, and I was in this dorm that was three stories tall. And so... Uh, this is the, my first time really ever experiencing the reality of a snowbank. Anybody know what a snowbank is? Where the snow just hits the building and then falls down and it sort of compacts and makes this big old, like, yeah, like a slide or like a right angle type thing. And so it snowed forever. And so I was like, this is terrible. You know, this is... So anyway, um, at Cedarville, the smartest people at the school were the engineers, you know, if you were of some intelligence, you would do X degree, and a little bit more, you'd do X degree, but the top of the heap was the engineers. And so on the third floor of Brock Hall, where I lived, there was two engineers doing their arithmetic, st- very studiously. And one of them looked over at the other one and said, by my calculation, you can jump out of the window, and the snowbank would break your fall. <laughs> he looked over at the other guy, he starts doing some more calculations. He's like, oh, I think so too. If he's under about 180 pounds, it's like, you're under 180 pounds. And so, you know, there was a guy walking by who overheard the conversation. He heard snowbank jump window. And he goes, someone's going to jump out of the snowbank? And then two more guys come by. Someone's going to jump out of the snowbank. And then those two turn into three and then four and then the 10 and the 20. And then there was like 35, 40 people around in this single dorm. And they were chanting what no administrator wants to hear. A bunch of 18 to 20-year-olds chanting, do it, do it, do it. So the, the administration at universities, they kind of know the nature of these young guys. And so they put a person who actually had sense in the dorm. He lives there. He's called like a dorm dad. 
at my school, they were called a resident director. So it was like about dinner time, and this resident director was eating dinner with his family. And, you know, it's funny because he says, oftentimes, I'm, I'm available to you, whatever crisis you have. But during dinner time, just leave me, me and my family alone because that's our special time. Even in the midst of dinner, this resident director who heard these guys chanting, do it, do it, drops his fork, runs up two flights of stairs, and then he gets up there, sees the, this mob just chanting, and then, you know, come to find out this, like, one-time t- one sane engineer is standing in the window with his knees knocking together, getting ready to jump and test his theory. So this guy does what any good dad or dorm dad would do. He says, everybody go to your rooms. And then as everyone leaves, this guy just snaps out of it. He's like, oh, my word. What, what, was I do- what was I getting ready to do? And then you like jump into the snowbank from the third floor. Like it's crazy. This is exactly what's happening in Genesis chapter 11. God is telling everybody to go to their rooms because when they're together, their actions were pushing them away from the things of God, away from things that were sane. And individually, they might not have done something crazy like this. Something crazy like, let's take God's glory upon ourselves. Let's absorb God's glory. Let's build something with the gifts that he's given us so that we can like, take all the fame away from him. And then, by the way, let's build something with our hands that will protect us because they think they can do it better than God. And let's, not, let's just forego God's mission because we can just stay here in this city that we'll create for ourselves. In light of what the scripture is doing, that's crazy talk. It's crazy. We see this from Genesis to Revelation. Doing that very thing is insane. So God says, everyone go to your rooms. And so he scatters them abroad over the face of the whole earth. He confuses their language. And you know what? I'm actually glad that God confused our language, to be honest with you. Um, There is a revival going on in the Southern Hemisphere. There's a revival going on, and the gospel is just breaking over, you know, country lines. It's breaking into different linguistic groups. Southern Africa, South America, there's a revival going on. And I'm glad that they, many of them, can't speak English to hear the garbage that many of us are saying in America and in Europe about the gospel and about Christ. So that's sort of a protection, I think, that God has given us. But even with that standing... I believe that God is actually more glorified by drawing these people who have a geographic and linguistic and socioeconomic and cultural difference to himself. It really shows that he is not just Lord over one type of person. He's Lord over all. And we've all been called to be a part of his mission in demonstrating how this works, how the gospel of Jesus Christ transcends all these lines of difference. And this is part and parcel to what God is doing in his world. We see glimpses of this in Revelation 7, which we'll talk about later today, as God has drawn people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation to himself. And so this beautiful tapestry of the kingdom is what God is weaving together, even in this next chapter that we'll see in just a moment. So what we see in this, in this passage, we see one type of scattering disciplinary scattering. God disciplines his people. God is, in a sense, disciplining, or even if we think about this idea of uh, scattering in our lives, reorganizing our lives. So this scattering or reorganization, 
as it relates to us, can be removing us from old, um, old patterns of temptation. Do you guys have that thing that you just keep running into and running into? But if your life was completely reorganized, you would just be able to bypass that thing as well? Sometimes God does that to us. He reorganizes our lives. He destroys the idol of comfort in our lives by sending us to places, uh, giving us new jobs, bringing us out of this comfort zone that we have. It removes distractions from God's best when, we, when he moves us around. And also for those who are struggling with these sin patterns, being on God's mission is a very good help to you because it allows us to focus on something else besides ourselves and our struggles. But after this, after God scatters his people here in this passage, even if he scatters us, God always restores. God is a God of, God of restoration. And with Adam and Eve, it was God who pursued them to clothe them in their nakedness. And he eventually promises to send a redeemer on his accord, not on theirs. And so even, this, even in this passage, we kind of see that. If you take your Bibles open still, turn to the next chapter. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, says this. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land and your relatives and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all people on the earth will be blessed through you. So after God scatters them abroad over the face of the whole earth from this plain of Shinar, these people of Babylon, God sends Abram, Abram's people to go get them. Take my name to them. Tell them who I am. I love them. I care for them. And so for us today, perhaps God is trying to tell us that we need to be rescattered, Not on, basically on our own accord. We need to take it upon ourselves to rescatter ourselves into this field that we have. And for some of us, the field might look various ways, like our families, in our workplaces, in our studies, even taking the name of Christ to the nations in all that we do. Because for you and I, we were given a new name, not a disgraceful name like Babel, which is what was given to these people here after they're trying to make a name for themselves. Well, God gave them a new name. He gave them the name Babel, but God redeemed us and has given us a new name of son or daughter, the redeemed. And we carry the name of Christ wherever we go in whatever sphere we're in, no matter what work we do, we are carrying Christ's name with us. And so for those who are working to get by, understand there is far more at stake than just getting by and paying the bills. The way that you do all that you do, all of your work, whatever you put your hand to, you are making manifest the kingdom of God in part. If you are a person who is trying to work to be fulfilled and working in whatever capacity that might take on, in the public sphere, in the business sphere, in the home sphere, or in the church sphere, whatever sphere you are working in, understand that more than just your fulfillment is at stake. The kingdom is at stake. When you do this, far more is possible than just your own happiness. Joy is at stake. 
The salvation of the people around you is at stake. As you do your work as a sign that points people to something greater that's coming, and then the, way, the reason that they know you're working that way is because you tell them, I'm working unto the Lord. I work not because you've earned it. I work because God requires it of me. And it's a joy to do that. And so as we leave this place today, let's look at our work afresh. Let's work at our, look at our families afresh. Let's look at our studies afresh as an act of worship unto the Lord. So there's, there's a story. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, but he is the, the person who drew up the FedEx logo. And so he's a, you know, a big name guy. He's, he's done a lot of work with uh, big firms who are trying to rebrand themselves. And um, he ended up landing this FedEx gig. And if you look at the FedEx logo, between the E and the X, I believe, there's an arrow. You guys seen that? And so this gentleman was talking to his daughter uh, once, and, and, and he, he said, hey, honey, look, there's an arrow in the FedEx logo. She saw a truck go by, and, and she's like, oh, I see it. And then, so now, she thinks she has a secret. And she's always telling her friends that she knows the secret of the FedEx logo because there's an arrow in there. And so, for many of us, we've seen the FedEx trucks over and over and over again. We've seen their packages over and over again. But, perhaps now, you'll be looking for the arrow and see that same logo in a new way. Hopefully, we can walk out of here today and see our work in a different way. We see our work as not just an opportunity to feed ourselves or clothe ourselves or things we have to do to keep the house running, but as an opportunity to make manifest the fact that there is a king and a kingdom that's to come, and our work is in some way pointing people to that king. And so again, we are, as as the people of God, we're like signs in the rubble. And I I pray that your work, as we do it side by side as believers, as we encourage each other, we'll be able to be a testimony of Christ that's worthy of our King. Let's, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are ruling and reigning. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be in your family and humbled by the opportunity to be able to work unto you, as well as have the the benefits of that work be upon our neighbors, on our children, and on our family. Father, uh, bless our work, bless our our toil. May it not just be for ourselves, but may it be for the purpose of being your hands and your feet, Father. We thank you for this kingdom task. We thank you for uh, for the redemption found in Christ that, that gives it all meaning. And Father, be with us even this week as we try to look at all that we do from sunup to sundown afresh. Uh, Give us grace to do that well in your precious name. Amen.